0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 24, and we'll, uh, we'll take a look at what the Lord has for us this morning. Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 1, says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple, and Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, Not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat at the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. and There will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes. In various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word, God. And as we seek your face uh, this morning, we just pray that you would guide and lead. God, that you would give us eyes to see and hearts willing to receive. That we would remember the warning to the churches in the book of Revelation. Let him who has ears hear. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us, Lord, to prepare our heart. To make ourselves right before you. To to make sure that we are committed and submitted to you. Father, we ask that you would be glorified in this place as we seek to honor you in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we come to Matthew chapter 24, we see that Jesus is, is two days from the cross. And he has just finished the, the altercation he has with the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And all the arguments that they had had there on the Temple Mount. All the charges and the, and the times they tried to trip him up. And cause him to fall. And you'll remember in chapter 23. Jesus says something. That leads up to the disciples. Pointing to the temple. And and asking him to check it out. and, And look at all those buildings. You'll remember Jesus as he was considering the nation. As he was considering the city. He says, he cries out. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets. Stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. So see your house is left to you. Desolate. When Jesus first came into the temple mount. You remember he cleanses the temple mount. And he says to them. My house shall be a house of prayer you remember? And they go through this this dissertation with the people wanting to know why he should have the authority to do that. How he thinks he can, can chase out the money changers and cleanse all the garbage that's going on and the house that belongs to God. But as Jesus comes to the end of chapter 23, he calls it your house. And what does he say about it? It's desolate. It's desolate. Man, the the Old Testament prophets, they talked about the Messiah entering in with zeal to the house of the Lord. And we see Jesus with zeal cleansing it. but the people reject him. The people reject the offer that he has. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you together. How often I wanted to make a difference in your life. How often I wanted to be in control of the choices that you made. But... You were not willing. And as we look at this section of scripture, I wonder. Paul would write to us in in 1 Corinthians that the body, our body is now the temple of God. When I give my life to Jesus Christ and he enters into my life and he becomes a part of me. What would he say about his house in me? Is it his house? Is it my house that I allow for him to have a little closet? I give him a little space on a Sunday or a Wednesday night, or I give him an opportunity when I spend a little time reading the scriptures. Or is this house dedicated, devoted to him? Is it his? Or would he say those same words to me rather than Jerusalem, Jerusalem? Would he say, Jackie, Jackie, how often I've wanted to gather you together? How often I've wanted to speak into your life. How often I've wanted to make a difference for you. But you were not willing. The next phrase he says there is so impactful to me when Jesus says, See, your house is left to you desolate. It's your house. You get to invite into your house who you want. For the nation of Israel, they were looking for Messiah, but they were not willing to be committed and submitted to him, to be turned over to him, to be fully about the Lord God. Listen, God has one desire in your life. Do you know that? We could come up with a hundred do's and don'ts, but God has one desire in your life, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart. Soul, mind, and strength. One desire. That's it. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest of the commandments? You remember, he responded, love the Lord your God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. That's the fulfillment of what it is to be a Christian. But that's... That can't just be something you say, right? I mean, it it ought to be deeper than that, shouldn't it? Think about the relationships we have with people, our friends or or our spouses or those whom we love. The love that we share among people is deeper than just words, isn't it? Or is it it just simply words? Is it just simply that we say something nice once in a while? We get a card. Mother's Day's coming. What are we going to do? I don't know, it's not the day before Mother's Day yet, so I haven't started. (laughs) And I tried the first year of Mother's Day to say that she's not my mom, but that didn't work out so good. (laughs) I thought I did a cute thing, you know. I took the little baby, and I walked him through a store, and whatever he grabbed, J.C., when he was just a baby... Whatever he grabbed off the shelf, I got that. I think it was a Kermit or something. Alf? Alf? It was even worse. <laughs> he grabbed an elf, and he brought that elf, and, he, and, I, and I wrote, uh, you know, to my mom on her, on her first Mother's Day, you know, and I put this little elf in a card and, you know, put, put J.C.'s hand on there and, and wrote J.C. And, and she was all, oh, it's so sweet, that's nice. Where's yours? <laughs> Yeah, that's when the "You're not my mom" part came out. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't so great. I only made that mistake once, so oh, huh? I only made that mistake once because for my wife, part of loving her is honoring her for being the mother of my children. Amen. Now, how's it, how's my relationship with God? If that's my relationship with people here. What about my relationship with the Lord? Is it just the words we say or, or the songs we sing? Or is it deeper than that? Is my house that is to be the house of God, my, my body, the temple of God, is, is it submitted and committed to him? Is it really his? The disciples don't quite get what he's, what he's saying. So as Jesus makes this pronouncement of the desolation of that house that now belongs to them, because they're going to kill him, two days from the cross, the the disciples then point to it and they say, well, look at the buildings. Look at the massiveness of the temple. Listen, I want you guys to understand the largest hand-carved stone in the world is in the rabbinical tunnels and is part of the foundation of the temple. It weighs 6,000 tons. And they moved it without cranes. Cuz we have those now, but back then they they weren't diesel was in short supply. <laughs> so this is a massive building. And they look at this building and they say, "Man, just look at it. Look how gorgeous it is, beautiful." Actually, the Jewish people, the the rabbis taught that the temple could never be destroyed again, that it was set, that it was good to go, that they were Life was just going to continue. You ever feel that way about your life? That life is perfect, it's right, it's good. We're on track, we're moving forward. They said that. Man, this is good, it's all good. Look at how we're moving. We're we're headed in the right direction. We're looking for Messiah. Look how great and, and wonderful these buildings of the temple are. Listen to what Jesus said. Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. The one thing that they looked at in their life, this is the one stable thing that will never change. Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another. Jesus authenticates his ministry as a prophet by fulfilling God's requirement of prophecy. See, God's requirement for prophecy is 100% accuracy. Not 80, not 85, not, not like Gene Dixon or Nostradamus or none of the other knuckleheads who are prognosticators in the world. Your favorite sports guy, he's not a prophet. <laughs> Jesus is a prophet because he's 100% accurate. It happened just like he said. Not one stone will be left on another. Forty years later, Titus Vespasian comes against Jerusalem. And they set up a siege wall. It was a terrible time. In fact, prophecy is going to go a little deeper into it. We'll see in a moment. But literally, literally, the Romans threw down every stone off of the Temple Mount. So if you picture the Temple Mount like this little plateau. And on top of that Temple Mount, this humongous building that, that, that shined in beautiful white and gold all inlaid throughout it. I mean, gorgeous building. Two, three stories tall. And, and all the, the Solomon's porch around the outside of it, and places where people would meet, and places where they would gather. And if you took every single stone on top of that plateau and you threw it off of the side, that is exactly what Jesus said would happen, and that's what happened. If you go to Israel today, you walk into the Tropian Valley, you know what you see in there? A pile of stones, the stones from a temple, still there in a pile, proving what Jesus said. Sometimes those things in our life that we think are so solid turn out just to be so much rubble. Because the Lord said, there is only one unshakable reality in your life. There's only one unshakable reality, and that one unshakable reality is your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's your relationship with Him. It's not the building, it's not your bank account, it's not your riches, it's not the country you live in. Those things can all crumble. The one unshakable reality is your relationship with Him. The relationship you have, the love that you share, the times when the Lord speaks into your life and the times that you experience Him as you go through your life. That's the one unshakable reality. The the Lord declares He'll shake everything that can be shaken so we'll learn to hang on to Him. The one unshakable thing. Well, as we come to this, they leave the, the place of the temple and they go to the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives... Is an area that you can look across this valley, the Kidron Valley, and you can see uh, Jerusalem just plain as day. You can look at the temple, you can see it all. It's like standing on the hill next to Jerusalem. And and it's a great place, a great vantage point. Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives, and he sits down, and his disciples ask him a couple questions. Well, let's take a look. The, The scripture says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? Question number one. And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of your age? Now, when we look at this, a lot of people want to look at, see different things. Listen, first they're asking, what will be the, the sign of these things happening? What things? The, every stone being knocked off another stone. Every stone being toppled from the temple. W- when's that going to happen? And so Jesus is going to express it to him. Now we see it better expressed in the Gospel of Luke, and the Gospel of Luke as it gives us this account. So why don't you just turn to the right with me and we'll take a look at the all of it discourse in the Gospel of Luke? In Luke chapter 21, about verse 20, Jesus is going to answer this question. He's going to answer the first question that they ask When will these things be? When will these things be? In Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse 20, here's what he says. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. And let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things that are written may be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babes in those days. For there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Daniel the prophet's the first one who alludes to the time of the Gentiles of so 586 B.C the the city of jerusalem is captured the temple is destroyed the first time and from that time forward jerusalem is ruled by gentile nations jerusalem continued to be ruled by gentile nations until june of 1967 until the times of the gentiles shall be fulfilled Maybe he's talking about the times when Gentiles would rule Jerusalem. Maybe he's talking about the opportunity for the last Gentile to believe. It's interesting that as we look at it, June 1967, the six-day war, for the first time since 586 B.C., Israel was in charge of Jerusalem, including Jerusalem. The Temple Mount. That's pretty incredible as we take a look and we consider the, the reality of prophecy. This is what Jesus said. How, when will these things happen? <clears throat> he says, when you see armies begin to encompass the city about, what happened? 70 AD, Titus Vespasian encompassed the city and began a siege. People were starved to death. People did unreal and horrendous things in, in, in trying to provide food for people who were starving. So Jesus said, get out. When you see him come, get out. When you see him come, get out. It's interesting because, because history tells us there was one group, when Titus came, that kind of paid attention to the words of Jesus, was The church. The church there about forty years after the time Jesus ascended into heaven, and they saw the armies begin to encompass about. When you remember the church in Jerusalem, they did something weird. You guys remember the church in Jerusalem did something weird that none of the other churches did this. But they sold everything they had and had all things in common. So forty years later, you know we 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 see Paul going about and, and bringing an offering. To help the church of Jerusalem was their poor. So when Titus Vespasian surrounded it, what did they have to hold them to the city? Wasn't their homes, wasn't their businesses, wasn't their bank account. They remember the words of Jesus. And they leave. They leave. Jerusalem, just like Jesus said, is conquered. And the temple is, is destroyed, just like Jesus said. Not one stone left upon another. So he answers their first question. When will these things be? There's your sign. That's what you see. When you see that happen, the temple's going to be destroyed. Jesus lays that out for them. But then he goes on and they ask the second question. The second question they say, And <clears throat> what will be the sign of your coming? That's interesting. I want you guys to understand in the Greek in the structure of this sentence when he says what will be the the sign of your coming, the word coming means not just when you show up, but when you stay. What's going to be the sign of your literally what they're asking is when is your kingdom? When's your kingdom? Remember that's what they're looking for. The the crucifixion hasn't happened, the resurrection hasn't happened. They don't understand these other concepts. So they're looking for the kingdom. When's the kingdom? When are you coming and staying? When are you setting up your kingdom? When are you kicking out the Romans? When are these things going to take place? And that was what they called the end of the age. You remember way back in Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, we're, we're studying through the, the parable of the sower. Remember? And, and, the, and the devil sowed tares. And when is that all going to be figured out? When is it all going to be straightened out? Those who are real and those who aren't real. When are you going to figure that out? The Lord said at the end of the age. What age? The age that we currently are in. The age that leads to the age of the Messiah. The kingdom. The millennial reign of Christ. When Jesus returns and rules and reigns. The scripture talks about a literal thousand year reign of Christ. So they're looking for that, right? That's what they expect. They expect that God's doing these incredible things. And so they ask these questions. And Jesus gives them them what we've come to know as this all of it discourse, but but also the beginning of sorrows. He talks about birth pains. He talks about being able to recognize and see. And so as Jesus answers this question... He begins by letting us know, here's how you're going to know. Here's like how you're going to understand the season. For example, in Idaho, it's kind of hard to tell what season you're in all the time. (laughs) Sometimes I think I'm in summer. And sometimes I think it went back to winter again. Like yesterday or the day before. I thought like I was in Kansas or something. Because isn't that where Dorothy was from? And the wind started blowing. And my, my Rottweiler actually got air. He was in the air. Saying, can I come in? And, and I was saying, I'm not coming out to get you. <laughs> but, you know, so, the, so, so in, the, in the land of Oz now, there's a Rottweiler running around instead of Toto. It's a little better to the story anyway. But, uh, you know, it's hard to tell. But Jesus lays out for us. Here's how you can see. Here's how you can begin to tell the season. What's that season going to look like? What are things going to look like? What will be the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of birth pangs? And there's, there's three things that we're going to lay out this morning as we head into a time of communion. And the first thing, the first thing that Jesus says Take heed that no one deceives you. The first warning that he gives is a warning against spiritual deception. A warning that says, hey man, there's a, there's a possibility that, that you can be deceived. In fact, the scripture lays out the very same thing to us. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says in latter times, Some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. 2 Timothy 3.13 says, And evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So Jesus begins, and he says, Take heed that no one deceive you. Listen, the enemy of your soul is a liar, and he was a liar from the beginning. The reason God has given us his word is so that we can have a foundation, an anchor of truth. People can try to distort all kinds of things. But Jesus said, my word will never change. Not one jot or tittle will pass away until all things have been fulfilled. We can hold to it like a rock. this is truth. And this is how we can know truth. And this is how we can understand truth. So Jesus said, don't be deceived. Be aware that deceivers will come. He says in verse 5, for many will come. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Many will come. Many are going to try to say, try to sell that, that they are the Christ. Listen, the last 60 years, give or take, more than 1,500 people have proclaimed themselves to be the returned Christ. Now you would think, If somebody just walked in and said, I am the return of Jesus Christ, that people would put them in a room. But I mean 1,500 people said that they were the return of Jesus Christ and were followed. People believed them. People changed their direction and their path in life. More than 900 people drank the Kool-Aid because the leader that they were following told them that's what God wanted them to do. Jesus said, do not be deceived. We have the anchor of truth in the word, but folks, if we fold this up and we say, no longer am I following this, I'm following the person, then what becomes my anchor of truth? What that person says. And what happens is that person gets more and more deceived, more and more twisted, more and more down the road. The next thing you know... You're so far away from what at one time you had held as the truth, but you're no longer holding fast to the doctrine that you were taught in the beginning. You're not holding fast to the word of God. And you will be deceived. They, they were deceived. Second Peter tells us why these deceivers come. Listen, in 2 in Peter chapter 2, if you want to flip over there with me, 2 Peter chapter 2, just the first three verses. We'll share together. 2 Peter 2 verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people. Even as there will be false teachers among you. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Even denying the Lord who bought them. And bring on themselves swift destruction. Many will follow their destructive ways. Because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Listen. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. By covetousness. Coveting is desiring something that you don't have. To me, there's no greater pronunciation against what some have called the the word of faith movement or that concept that God has to give me what I ask him for. They say by covetousness, they will deceive you. This desire for stuff, the desire for things, the desire for that which we don't have. This is what's going to be utilized by false teachers and what causes people to begin to take a path away from what the Word of God says. Because the Word of God says, do not trust in riches. The Word of God says, do not trust in military might. The Word of God says, do not trust in anything but the Lord God Almighty. Your faith, your hope, all anchored to Him. And that's what holds us fast to the truth. Jesus' first warning to them, and the first sign, deceivers will come. Listen, there's always been deceivers and false teachers. But what Jesus is saying, there's going to be more and more and more. Is there an apostate church today? Are there churches that don't believe that Jesus is the Christ? Are there churches that don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Are there churches that don't believe according to what Jesus said in John chapter 8? Jesus said, unless you believe that I am eternal God, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I am, ego I me, the name of God quoted from Exodus chapter 3. Unless you believe I am. There are people who don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. There are all of these things taking place. What Jesus said is true. You'll know you're getting close. Birth pangs are coming. If you see these things on the increase. More and more and more that there would be this attitude, listen, this attitude of widespread deception. Widespread deception. These things to warn us, to to encourage us, to help us understand. Listen, how can that deception take place? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the word lays out for us that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us what is restraining. And I want you to understand this. Because in John chapter 16, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And if I do not go away the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, when he has come, wait a minute, the Holy Spirit from the beginning of creation was always working in the world. When he's talking in John chapter 16 about when he has come, what's he saying? He's saying when he has come into your life, when he has come into the church, When he has taken that place within the church. On the day of Pentecost, 120 men went out, tongues of fire over their head. They began to speak in tongues. And then Peter stood up and gave a word of prophecy and plain understanding. And 3,000 souls were saved. The next time Peter taught, 5,000 souls were saved. 8,000 were in the beginning of the church. As the beginning of the church begins to move there in Jerusalem. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when He came into them, John chapter 16 said, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does through the church in the world. But Second Thessalonians chapter 2 says that He will one day be taken out of the way means the Holy Spirit will be removed. But Jesus promised that if he gave us the Holy Spirit, he'd never take it away. That's right. Because the book of Thessalonians tells us in chapter 4 that at the trump of God, the Lord will call the church home and the Holy Spirit in the life of the church will be removed with her. The church taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit gone. And at that moment with no conviction, not the Holy Spirit. you Don't you hear people say, I, I, I don't care if that church goes away. I hope the rapture is true. And the church goes. Then we can all finally have a good time. I'm not sure that's how it works out. There will be no conviction. The conviction of the Holy Spirit removed within the life of the church. There will be a great falling away. But that's not all. Jesus talks about this spiritual deception. He says, "You will hear of wars and and rumors of wars." Listen. But see that these things don't trouble you. We see deception. We see spiritual deception on the rise. And don't we see wars and rumors of wars? Holy cow. Every time I turn around, there's a new a new rebellion somewhere. There's there's Egypt still can't get things rolling there's syria struggling every just about every country around israel is having some kind of problems and that's just in that little corner of the world that's not even taking into consideration the over 100 years of civil war that's been going on in africa wars and rumors of wars more and more there have been more wars in the 20th century than every century prior combined we're not getting better. Our ability to make peace is not getting better. We we fight. You want to make sure not to have a fight? Only have one person in your club. As soon as you have a club of two people, you're gonna have a fight. How do I know that's true? I got married. <laughs> Isn't it true? All the people who are laughing are married too. The ones who aren't laughing are saying, that's not funny. I'm not married yet. Yeah. It will be funny one day. You'll see. You'll see. We like to fight wars and rumors of war. But the thing that we want to hold to here, listen, the thing that we want to really grasp is do not be troubled. And in the the gospel of John, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. God has a plan and a purpose in this not to destroy or disrupt our lives it's not to ruin our lives and in the book of Jeremiah Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, the Lord said I know the thoughts that I think toward you thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope that was spoken to a people who were in chains going into slavery and God was saying to them don't be afraid it's all going to be okay and the, the message hasn't changed for his church today The Lord says there's difficult things, difficult days in the horizon, hard times ahead. Scary things when we look at the news and scary things when we see what's going on in the world. But the Lord says, don't be afraid. Just trust in me. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing and we can trust God. We can trust that the Lord will do this perfect work in our life. Listen, do not let these things trouble you. But not only will there be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. But there will be famine, pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. He talks about these serious disasters. He says there will be wars and rumors of war. But listen, it ends not yet. That means that's that's God's way of saying this is not the hard part yet. This isn't the hard part. This is just the beginning of sorrows. This is the beginning of birth pangs. It's just the beginning, but there's going to be, there's going to be these serious disasters. He talks about famines. 1970 was called the de- decade of famine. Do you know today in our world today with all the stuff we got? And we have a hard time relating to this because life for us is a little different. But listen, for, for the world today, right now, in the next one minute, 30 adults will die of starvation. And in the next year, 15 million children will starve to death. There's always been famine somewhere in the world. But there are crazy numbers of famine right now. And it's hard for us to relate, right? It's hard for me to relate. I'm fat and I eat a lot of bacon. And I, you know, I watch those same shows you guys see. And I watch them kids. And some of them kids, you know, you're looking at and you're thinking, wow, that, they may be gone. They may be gone. And, and what does that compel me to do? The love of Christ should compel me to, to be whatever part of a solution I can be. I may not individually be able to feed Every hungry child, but listen, God is going to require an account for the nation who had an abundance of food and didn't care about those who were starving to death. And that nation who has an abundance is us. We got a lot. We got a lot. But this is what Jesus said. It's the beginning of birth pains. You want to know if times are getting close? There'll be a lot of famine. He also talks about Pestilence. Pestilence. 32,500,000 cases of known AIDS in the world today. Uh, That's a mind-boggling number, right? Majority of those in Africa where you have one doctor for 17,000 people. And you have this concept that the way to get rid of it is to find a virgin and have sex with them. And that'll get rid of AIDS. But it doesn't work. All it does is spread. Jesus said there'll be pestilence. That's just AIDS. That doesn't count how many people die of influenza. Here's one for you. When I was growing up, one in 10,000 children were born with autism. Today, it's one in a hundred. That means, basically, in a sanctuary this size, there will be three children with autism born. That numbers are changing. Jesus said, this will be the beginning of sorrows, pestilence. Let Let me ask you a question. I uh, just picture a nation that it's one in ten thousand people who have autism. Now make it one in a hundred, and let that continue to grow. What happens to that nation? What happens when you're trying to care for that many uh, children who who have that ailment in their life? What happens to that nation? How does that affect it? It's, it's mind boggling to begin to consider the changes that have happened. That's recent. That's recent. Jesus said there would be pestilence. There would be pestilence. In Revelation 16, it says, They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. You Think about the people who are dealing with sexually transmitted diseases, and that's a perfect description of their heart. It's a perfect description. But that's not all. Then he tells us there will be earthquakes in various places. That word, various means places that you wouldn't think of. I want you guys to think about just the last few years. You know, growing up, I don't remember ever watching on the news a tidal wave. I don't remember that. But one day, I'm blown away. I'm watching the news and, you know, a tsunami or tidal wave starts with an earthquake out in the middle of the ocean somewhere. And a tsunami comes through and a tsunami goes through Indonesia. And just like that, Almost in a blink of an eye, 300,000 people are gone. The Bible said it's the beginning of birth pangs. Now, I thought that would probably be the only time I'll see that in my life. It wasn't that many years later before we saw it again in Japan, was it? 30,000 people in that one. Boom, just like that. Not to mention the earthquakes around the world and all these crazy places that we're hearing about. Listen, there's always been earthquakes. There's always been wars. There's always been famine. But the Lord said that it will increase like birth pangs. And as it increases, he says, listen, here's the message. Don't be afraid. Just know it's at the door. There was a a woman in Mexico Her name was Mama Espinosa. She was the Mother Teresa of Mexico. We took a youth trip down there and we saw her when she was like 95 years old. I I don't think she's alive anymore because she would be like 130 now. But we were sitting around her and all the kids and she would wake up every day singing hymns and go to bed singing hymns. And she said, we asked her, all the youth kids sitting around, this, this lady, she's 94, 95 years old. And we asked her, do you have anything to share with the kids? Anything that you want to tell them? Anything you want to share with them? And she said, yes, yes. I. So we all sat down around her and she goes, listen, listen, I'm, I'm an old lady. And one day the Lord's going to take me home. But I want you to know, Jesus is coming soon and I can see his toes. See, their toes are right over the edge. I can see his toes. The beginning of birth pangs. So how should we then live our life? What's that mean to us? What a great day to live in. What a great opportunity to make your faith be the most real thing in your life. This is who I am. It's not who I am on just one day a week. This is who I am. This is This is what I do. When we were having kids, we went into the hospital with our first son, and Kathy would say, Oh, it hurts. And that's not the funny part yet. (laughs) Oh, it hurts, she says. And they put this thing on her belly and it would it would register, and the nurse would come and look at her and she'd tap her on the head, oh honey. It hasn't even started yet. (laughs) We're our first child. Oh, it hurts. She'd look at me and she'd say, If this hasn't started yet, how bad's it gonna get? <laughs> I don't know, honey. <clears throat> it's our first child. Kathy has this thing where she would go from four centimeters to ten centimeters in one really long contraction. And then baby. Now it might be a long time till four, but when she hit four, you could start your watch. Baby's coming pronto. But we didn't know that yet. But the second baby, we started to get a clue. On the third child, Joe, when she's giving birth to Joe, we, she's all excited. Now, every time she had a baby, she wanted an epidural. And she never got one. <laughs> because the, the anesthesiologist, I would tell him, look, when she hits four, she's gonna have a baby real fast. And he would say, oh, listen, you have no idea. You can't teach the ignorant, right? So I trying to tell him, trying to tell him. So he'd never make it. The anesthesiologist would never make it. Oh, for two. Now we're on the third one. And Kathy's like, listen, he better be here this time. He better be here this time. Okay, I told him. I told him. He didn't make it. She was going to have this real fancy room. But when we got there, we go up and we tell her, okay, well, she's almost a four and the contractions are this far apart. And they go, oh, well, we'll just go wait in the waiting room. And I'm like, oh, you people are outside your head. (laughs) So they asked, which child is this? I said, this is number three. We know how this works now. (laughs) You're going to have a baby in a waiting room floor. (laughs) They didn't have a room, so they put her in a closet. She had a picture in her mind. This beautiful room she's going to be... Seriously, they do this stuff. They wheeled her bed into the broom closet. There's towels, sheets, brooms, mops. What? Yeah, this is, a, this is a sign of things to come. So then finally they check her out and they go, Oh my gosh, she's like going really fast from 4 to 10. Oh, you think? So they put her, they get her, (coughs) they get her out of bed and they put her in this wheelchair and there's no feet for the wheelchair. So she's got to hold up her feet while this, while this nurse is running, pushing her down the hallway, trying to get her to a a nice room so she's not having a baby in the closet. The baby's crowning. So they get her into the bed. I think she spends like 30 seconds in that room. They get her into bed. And the anesthesiologist comes lollygagging in. "Uh, Is it time yet? Too late. See you later. (laughs) Do you know they still send you a bill? (laughs) That is like the easiest job on the planet. I want to be the anesthesiologist who doesn't have to do anything and still charges you as though he did. Just because he was in the neighborhood drinking a coffee. And sure enough... Within moments, baby Joe is born. See, that's what Jesus is talking about here. It's the beginning of birth pains. Things may move fast. Things may move slow. But I guarantee you, a baby is going to be born. I guarantee you, Jesus will call the church home. I guarantee you, he will return again. And I guarantee you that time is short enough for us to be real about our faith and be willing to cross the street and tell our friends and neighbors. Amen? Amen. We're going to have a time of communion now. So as as we have the worship team come up and we just prepare our hearts in an attitude of worship for what the Lord will do. Listen, here's my... uh, Here's my challenge for you. Jesus said there would be a time of a spiritual deception and wars and, and famines and pestilence and earthquakes and all this stuff going on. But he also says that the, that the love of many would grow cold. That the church would begin to get complacent. And I want to challenge you as we just have a time of worship and as the ushers pass out the, the communion trays... As we move forward in this, I just want to challenge you to seek the Lord. If it's me, Lord, am I complacent? Lord, am I being, am I not taking my faith seriously? Because all that's required of us is just to repent and make our hearts right with God. Lord, forgive me for this attitude that I've had. And allow me to have an attitude of serious uh, urgency that today could be the day. Not guaranteed another moment to share our faith. Not guaranteed another moment to make a choice. Not guaranteed another moment to make a decision. As you as you just have these this time, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I I invite you to search your heart, search your heart as to whether you are in the faith and be made right with God. As we prepare our hearts.